0: Welcome everybody. Welcome River Glen. Thank you for inviting us into your home through your devices. If you're new my name is Ben and I'm glad you're with us today. In case you haven't heard two weeks the weekend of June 27th and 28th we resume gathering in person for services at both campuses at our normal times. Saturday at five here in Waukesha and Sunday morning at nine or 10:30 in Waukesha and Pewaukee. A couple things I want you to know about regathering for now, our Kid Life rooms will be closed during the services. We hope to open our children's space soon, but kids are welcome to come into the service in the auditorium. Uh, we have also limited our seating capacity to 25% in the auditoriums for social distancing. Fortunately, we have large auditoriums and large lobbies, and so we got plenty of room for you and your family and your guests, and I hope you'll uh, come and, and join us in person beginning June 27th and 28th. Now I know some of you will need to continue to watch online for health reasons, or maybe you're just not ready to gather in person and that's fine. I totally understand. We'll continue to provide our best content for you online during all our service times. And when you're ready to join us in person, we'll be ready for you. I'm excited and looking forward to gathering with real live people here in the room with me in uh, two weeks. Well, last weekend we began a new series called What Made Jesus Mad? based on a book uh, written by Tim Harlow. Tim actually kicked off this series and gave an excellent message last weekend for us. If you missed it, go to our website and watch it. Here's the big idea of the book. Many people have this idea that Jesus was always happy and calm and serene. We see pictures like this of Jesus holding a lamb and we cannot imagine Jesus ever getting frustrated or angry you know what, in some ways, we've created our own version of Jesus. Because if you read the Gospels in the New Testament, you find sometimes Jesus got mad. He got ticked off. So each week, we're going to look at one of these examples because it's important for us to know what made Jesus mad so that we know him better and can follow him better. Here's the pattern we see when religious people on the inside, or when church people on the inside, who should be blessing and loving and serving those on the outside... But instead, when insiders block those on the outside from accessing God, this made Jesus angry and furious. And so today, I wanna talk about how prejudice and racism can block people from accessing God, which makes Jesus mad. Today, I wanna talk about how to respond to racial tension and unrest as followers of Jesus. Many of us have probably been thinking about this subject because of what happened recently in Minnesota. 2020 has been a tough year in many ways, hasn't it? Of course, the coronavirus has affected all of our lives, our work, our school, our families, our health. But we've gone from social distancing and hand sanitizing to protests and even riots in cities throughout our country. There's a lot of emotion right now. Anger, pain, fear, confusion, despair. A lot of people are hurting. It's a very difficult time in our country and in our lives. But I really do believe that some great things are gonna come from the racial unrest that we are feeling and experiencing right now. Some of you maybe felt the way I did. I naively thought that racism isn't a big problem anymore. We've made so much progress. But the last few weeks have opened our eyes and broken our hearts. Instead of getting better, it feels like it's gotten worse. But actor Will Smith tweeted that it's not that racism has gotten worse, it's that racism is being filmed. Everybody carries a camera in their pocket in their phone. The video that really took us to the boiling point involved a man named George Floyd. I'm sure you probably recognize him. Uh, Many of us have seen the video in eight minutes and 43 seconds of watching this man get the life crushed out of him. George Floyd begs for his life, please I can't breathe, while the police officer Derek Chauvin keeps pressing his knee against his neck choking him. Bystanders are saying, get off him, you're killing him. Even one of the officers said, do you think we should roll him over on his side? But Chauvin says, no, we're good. George Floyd starts calling out to his mother. By the time the ambulance gets there, he was dead. It's about as cold-hearted and cruel and merciless as anything I've ever seen. But I wanna be careful today because I don't wanna taint the police force. I know many police officers These are some of the finest people I know. They they care about people and they want to serve and protect. We have some amazing police officers who work as public servants and put their lives on the line for us every day. But just like sometimes I feel embarrassed by the actions of bad pastors, police officers feel embarrassed by the actions of bad police officers. It makes their job much harder. It's a very difficult and stressful time for police officers. And we need to support and respect and pray for them. And you don't have to choose a side. You can be wholeheartedly against racial injustice and you can be for honorable police officers. But the decency and correctness of most police officers does not minimize this heartless crime against George Floyd and the problem of racism in our country. So how do we respond to racial injustice and racial inequality as followers of Jesus? Well, first we need to look at how Jesus responded to it because racism is not a new problem. Back in the first century, when Jesus lived on this earth, they had a huge racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They constantly feuded against each other. I want to briefly look at two encounters that Jesus, a Jew, had with Samaritans. Here's the first one. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his other, his disciples went to another village. Jesus sent his followers to a Samaritan village, but the Samaritans did not welcome him. They did not permit them to enter their village. And James and John want to retaliate. They want to call fire from heaven down and annihilate the Samaritans. But it says, Jesus rebuked his followers and silenced them. It's word rebuke. It's a strong verb that conveys sharp emotion. In the original language, Jesus used the same word when he rebuked demons. I take it Jesus felt frustrated and angry with his followers because he loved the Samaritans and he wanted to save Samaritans. But prejudice and racism would get in the way and block Samaritans from God. See, Jesus has a dream for all the people of our world. The New Testament tells us what heaven will be like. There'll be people from every nation and every language and every tribe and people group standing before the throne of God because God purposefully created human beings with diversity. That's why racism makes Jesus mad because it opposes God's plan to save people of every color, from every nation and every ethnicity. And for all of you that have felt degraded or devalued or discriminated against because of your race, because of the color of your skin, we just want to say as humbly as we can, we are sorry that you've received that kind of treatment. We grieve with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, the apostle Paul talks about how the church is the body of Jesus and how we're all members of this same body. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it when one part hurts, we all hurt. And we want to do that better as a church family. So many people are suffering and hurting and grieving right now. And I know probably all of us would say, I'm, I'm not a racist. Probably all of us would say racism is wrong. Racism is sin. But Jesus went much further. Take a look at this second encounter. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Here's what it says in John chapter four. So he left Judea, And went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, but most Jews didn't go through Samaria. They went around it. They avoided Samaria because they hated Samaritans. But Jesus went through Samaria because he loved Samaritans and he wanted to save them. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now I'm not gonna read the entire conversation because it goes on for 16 more verses. It's one of the longest conversations recorded in the New Testament and it's between Jesus And a woman, which is not something a rabbi would do in public in that ancient culture. But it's even more surprising because Jesus has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. I mean, this woman came from a different racial background, she had a different understanding of God, she also had multiple marriages and divorces and lived a different lifestyle. But despite all their differences, Jesus reaches out to her. He treats her with respect and love, He listens to her, He loves her, and helps her access a personal relationship with God. These last few weeks, I've done more studying and and had more conversations about racism than ever before. Like most of you, I would say, I'm not a racist. I think racism is a sin. I'm, I'm sad about what happened to George Floyd. But I've realized that's not enough. That's not the way Jesus responded. It's too passive. I mean, Jesus wasn't just not a racist, Jesus was anti-racist. He went out of his way to build a relationship with a Samaritan woman. He built a bridge across the racial divide. Following Jesus means means we move from sympathy, I'm sad for you, to empathy, I'm sad for us. And we get involved in reconciliation. We shift from non-racist to anti-racism. So I wanna share four ways that we can make a difference and help the healing four responses to help us follow the example of Jesus. And here's the first one, here's the first step. We admit that racism is real today. Here's something I've learned about myself, especially the last few weeks. I have a tendency to think that my perspective is everyone else's. My experience is everyone else's, but that's not true. My experience and perspective are limited. And this is where it takes humility to admit that all of us have certain biases. We have certain perspectives, different perspectives. And just because maybe racism hasn't hit my home and hurt my family doesn't mean that it isn't real for so many people. We have to acknowledge that racism is a very real problem today. It's all over the world. Sure, in some areas we've made progress, but there's so much more progress that we need to make. And we can't become part of the solution until we acknowledge it as a real problem today. Now, when something is a problem, what do we do? We talk about it, right? Just like with COVID-19, we talk about it and discuss it at home. We educate our children about it. And racism is a problem today. And so we talk about it in our homes. We educate our kids. We help our children understand that everyone is created in the image of God. It's not us and them. There's no them. It's just us. We're all God's children. So we start by admitting that racism is a real problem today. And we call it what it is. It's wrong. It's sin. It's evil. It breaks the heart of God and it makes Jesus mad because it blocks people from God. So we admit it's real. And then second, we listen. We can ask questions and listen to someone who has a different story or different background than we do, which is especially important for those of us who are white, because 75% of our social acquaintances and social networks are other people who are white. And it makes it hard for us to, to see anything but our own perspective. And so it's important, as hard as it might be, to understand and listen, and get that different perspective from other people. The last couple of weeks, I've tried to listen better. I've reached out to people of color in our church and asked about their experience. I've listened to people speak on this subject. For example, I listened to a black church leader named Cedric. He said, when I was growing up, my dad told me that when you go into a store, take your hands out of your pockets. I thought about how my dad never told me anything like that. I've never thought about my hands in my pockets in a store. Cedric said I don't care if I'm buying a pack of gum or chapstick in the store I, I, I leave with a receipt and a bag every time He said I don't want it to look like I'm stealing from the store A black woman named Shauna explained it this way She said we don't get the same benefit of the doubt That people in the white community get I thought to myself I probably, probably have heard that before But maybe I didn't really listen because this time it really sunk in for me It was like an aha moment for me a black pastor named Sam told about his experience when he was a teenager and his dad taught him how to drive. His dad said, okay, now you've just been pulled over. You've been pulled over by the police. What are you going to do? Sam said, I'm going to you know, get my license out of my wallet. I'm going to get my insurance card out of the glove box. And his dad said, no, you don't do that. You might get hurt. You put your hands on the steering wheel. You turn on your cell phone and call somebody to record the conversation and you do everything they say. I thought to myself, I never had a conversation like that with my dad when he taught me how to drive. A woman named Marquita, who serves with a church in the Chicago area, has a teenager. She says she knows all the curfews in all the villages around the area. When my kids were teenagers, I didn't even know that they had curfews in towns around the area. My kids never had to worry about that. Hers do. A pastor in Minnesota shared about a conversation with his daughter recently. He has a child of color and it's been hard for her to process things with George Floyd. He said we were watching the news together and it was too much for her. She said to her mom and dad, is this what it's going to be like for me? Will will this happen to me? Will will, will that be my reality? He said he felt ill-equipped to answer that question. He wanted to say, I hope it doesn't. I hope we live in a world where it doesn't exist anymore but he realized that he needs to do more to equip her for the reality that she's gonna face in life. I talked to several others and it helped me so much to ask questions and listen to people of color, talk about their experiences. I realized my perspective is so different and it gave me a greater understanding and compassion and a desire to do what's right. Listening may stretch us and it may even feel uncomfortable, but some of the most powerful moments happen outside of our comfort zone. Care enough to ask somebody about it. Say something like, tell me the story about your background. How has racism impacted your life? Care enough to listen. Care enough to feel someone else's stress and pain. So admit racism is real, then listen to someone who's hurting. And then what you can do is pray. And I know some people scoff at that. They say, you know, we don't need more prayer. We need more action. Prayer and thoughts don't do anything. Thoughts don't, but prayer does. We need God's power and help through prayer, especially right now. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear it from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we need God's help from heaven, don't we? Let's pray. Pray for justice and compassion. Pray for the victims and those who serve. Pray for opportunities to use your voice and act as a peacemaker. Pray for unity in the church. Our world is so divided right now. We need a united church. Let's give it to them. Jesus prayed for unity. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he could have prayed for anything and we would have leaned in and listened, but he prayed for us to be one, regardless of our socioeconomic status or political party or gender or skin color. He wants us to be one. And if Jesus prayed for unity, I want to pray for unity. And I want to be the answer to that prayer. Prayer is not our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. I want to read a prayer for us. My son attends school in Minnesota in a church in the community. This church wrote a prayer of lament. We don't use that word often, lament. Maybe that's a new word for some of us. Lament is a form of prayer where you cry out to God in a difficult time. You call out to God in a crisis. Prayers of lament help us to pour out our heart to God and ask for his help. And they allow God to shape us and grow us so that we can help others. Let's make this our our prayer today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, our souls are heavy from what we witnessed in Minnesota. So give us strength to pray. We lift our eyes to you as our mighty rock, fortress, and refuge. God, please help us. We mourn the tragic loss of George Floyd. Your beloved child was taken. We grieve with his family, friends, his community, and all who loved him. Help those of us who are angry and sad not to let his death be in vain. God, we do not pray for vengeance, but we do thirst for justice and healing. We long for the day when families will not have to say goodbye to their children too soon. We hope and we pray for peace and reconciliation. Our hope is in you, Father. Come quickly to help us. Lord, come quickly to save us. Hear our cry in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to pray for our country and for peace and and healing. And so we admit that Racism is a problem. We listen to those who are hurting and pray boldly in faith. And then number four, we show love. Jesus said the world will know that you follow me by your love. Love is the main characteristic of a Jesus follower. And love is a verb. Love takes action. It's more than just feeling sad. And all of us can do something. All of us can stand with the oppressed like Jesus did and like followers of Jesus had done throughout the centuries. It's a little bit like the Black Lives Matter statement. Some people will push back and say, all lives matter, all lives matter, and all lives do matter. That's absolutely true. But sometimes love means you need to get specific and personal. For example, if my wife came to me and said, I'm I'm feeling hurt and forgotten and overlooked, Do you love me. I'm not going to reply to her. I love everyone. Everyone matters. No, I'm going to say, I love you. You matter to me because I love the individual as well as the whole Sometimes it's loving to say black lives matter. All lives matter. But sometimes there's someone who's hurting and needs to hear it from me. You matter. Love means that we get outside of our own perspective and see the way someone else sees. And we speak directly into someone else's pain with the same love that we receive from God. We can all do something to show love. I love this scene from the movie 42. It's a true story. It's a baseball movie about the first black player in the major leagues. Number 42 is Jackie Robinson, who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. But in this scene, the fans in the stadium yell hateful words and racial slurs. Can you imagine the pain and isolation Jackie Robinson felt? But then the white shortstop for the Dodgers, Pee Wee Reese, walks over and puts his arm around Jackie Robinson. Take a look. Better look next time, here Ain't gonna be a next time, Jake. All we got is right here, right now. You know what I mean? Thank you, Jake. What are you thanking me for? I got family out there from Louisville. I need them enough. I need them to know who I am. Hey, number one! You playing ball or socializing? Playing ball, huh? Playing ball! Don't let it get to you! Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. that scene. Later on, Jackie Robinson said that moment saved his career. A moment that said, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to stand with my teammate. I'm for him. He's for me. I care about him. We're brothers. There's actually a monument in Brooklyn, New York of that powerful moment. Maybe God's nudging you to reach out to someone of color or someone different from you at work, school, in your neighborhood, maybe in your community or in our church. And walk across the room or across the street and say, I just wanted to check and see how you're doing to show you care. Maybe share a cup of coffee or a meal. All of us can do something to show we care because we have the love of Jesus. And maybe the love you demonstrate will remove a barrier. Remember, that's what makes Jesus mad when racism blocks people from God. But love and care can remove that barrier and help someone find a relationship with God. If you'd like to discuss and learn more about this subject, we're starting some racial unity discussion groups. If you're interested in finding out more, fill out the welcome card and just write racial discussion group in the comment section and we'll send you some more information. We want to share the love of Jesus and bring healing and peace. We have the only answer to every question and challenge that plagues us right now. And that is Jesus. How will we learn to love each other? Jesus. How can we possibly forgive those who have hurt us? Jesus. How can we learn to get along? Jesus. Why should we take time to listen to each other's experiences? Jesus. How will we ever heal what is so broken? Jesus. Who can save us from the mess that we're in? Jesus. What should be our focus in these tumultuous times? Jesus. What's the heart of true unity? Jesus. Who will love me when I feel like no one else does? Jesus. Who's going to come back? and make all things right one day, Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Let's pray for River Glen to be a place for everyone, a place where Jesus is lifted up and draws everyone to him. Pray for our unity so that our church can shine the light of Jesus in these dark times. I'm gonna pray, and then we thought it would be helpful to sing a song where we fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope he gives everyone. So let me pray for us. God, we pray for peace in our community and throughout our country. God, this problem is is deep, but we wanna be part of the solution. Help us to admit the problem and to seek and, and to listen to different perspectives and to turn to you more fully in prayer. Help us to extend more love and compassion and empathy. God, keep our church united so that we can shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. Help us to be a place for everyone, a place where all people feel welcome and included. Guide us to remove barriers that get in the way of more people finding a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.